Good evening, good morning, wherever you are watching the world. Welcome to the Tune Under podcast. We are the Southern Hemisphere's best and only Newcastle United dedicated podcast out there. When I think we're the number one in the Southern Hemisphere, Jack, is that right? We are, are number, number one in the Southern Hemisphere. Hey, ghost. The one and only. The Southern Hemisphere is pretty big as well, by the way. <laughs> it is, yeah. There's at least two countries in there. <laughs> But uh, now, welcome to the show. Uh, today we are going to talk about the Newcastle-Liverpool game, which happened yesterday. Uh, it was a, a 9.30pm kickoff for us uh, here in Queensland, uh, which is a 12.30 UK uh, kickoff time. Uh, Jack actually went to the pub and watched the game live with quite a few other Newcastle supporters, so he, he's feeling a little bit rough. Um <laughs> There's footage out there of them swapping shirts, sing along, dancing. It's not very often we get a good kickoff time here over in uh, Australia for the football, so we take it when we get the chance. And joining us, uh, we've got Keegan. Uh, you can tell by his name, he's already uh, well in depth to uh, the Newcastle United culture. Welcome to the show, Keegan. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. Not a problem. It's uh, good to have you on. And just before we get started, we're just going to have a little bit of a plea here now. For the end of the season, we've got a little bit of a challenge to set all of our followers who haven't yet subscribed to the channel. To the channel, If you are new to the channel and you like what we do, please click and hit that subscribe button. If you have already watched our channel, but you haven't yet subscribed, again, please do so. We want to get 500 subscribers before the end of the season. It's a massive ask. We're on 359 right now, but I'm pretty sure everybody out there can click that button. We can do that with ease. So thank you very much. Let's get on with the show. First of all, what we're going to do is just ask Keegan a little bit about himself, uh, how he got his name, where he lives, where he's come from, and we'll hand over you, Keegan. I'll let you say a little bit about yourself. Uh, right, uh, yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, my name's Keegan, uh, named after Kevin Keegan, obviously. Uh, grandma moved over here, I think, during the 50s from Ashington, which is about half an hour north of uh, Newcastle. So basically, yeah, all dad's side of the family. Uh, live there or around there now. If you're in Blythe, Cramlington, sort of all them uh, places. So, yeah, sort of born into Newcastle and didn't really have a choice with the name Keegan. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, many, how many Keegans are there in Geelong? Uh, I don't know any of them. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> just me. Oh, there would be more, but I'm the only one that I know of, which is nice. We were just saying off air before there that usually people call like the pets Keegan or Tino or something, <laughs> didn't they? Or Shearer. But your dad's obviously called his son. That's brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, but we're gonna jump straight into the Newcastle Liverpool review. Now, obviously, it was a wasn't the most exciting game, so we're not gonna dwell too much on the matter, but we will get into where uh, the major talking points. Um, first of all, we are just gonna get straight into the team lineups. And just going to get that on the screen right there. Uh, I'll just read through this. So we started off with the Bravker and Goal, Kraft, Shaw, Burn and Target across the back, Shelby, Bruno, Willock, Amaron, Joe Linton in the middle, and St. Max up top on his own is a lone striker. Um, Jack, how did you see that lineup in that potential formation? Uh, so probably the first thing to say about this is that I was in the pub at this point when the, the lineup came out. 
as Craig said, yeah, I was in the pub. There was about 30, 35 of us in the pub in Brisbane, which was fantastic. So, and it's really good because like it, the, the lineup comes out and it's like, it reminds you of being back, being back in Newcastle and you're in the pub before the game and you're getting it on your phone and you're talking to people about it. So, it, I mean, it was, I'm surprised Chris Wood didn't start to be fair. I thought he, he was rested against Norwich. He's basically the only recognised striker we've got other than Dwight Gale, who never gets a game, uh, obviously with Wilson being injured. So I was surprised that Wood didn't start. I was pleased that Joe Linton didn't start up front again, like he did against Norwich. But we're going to talk about Maxi later, I'm sure. But uh, it's he's, he's not he's not a central striker, you know. Um, so I think that was my main my main sort of um, concern about the team. But in fairness, it was always going to be a big ask, you know. Like you're playing, we're playing against one of the best teams in Premier League history. So, and we'll look at the Liverpool lineup in a minute if we do that. The bench was absolutely ridiculous, you know. So, it was always going to be a big ask in this game. So, I think whatever team we put out would have been difficult, but it probably would have been good to see Wood, Chris Wood start. But I don't know how much difference it would have made. Yeah, I'm uh, totally agree with you on that one. What were your thoughts on the lineup, Keegan? Uh, yeah, it was sort of when they got announced last night, Twitter sort of was in a bit of a frenzy thinking Big Joe was going to play up top again. But, um, yeah, I thought they'd play Maxi up top purely because I don't think they trusted him defending and rather than him on the wing and leaving target sort of two-on-one when they break, they break fast as we watched last night. So, yeah, I always thought that he'd play through the middle and Joel Linton had offered that defensive coverage with target. But like you said with the subs, like if you look at ours there, I mean, there's a fair chance six of them might not even be here next year. You know what I mean? Mm. And you look at what they've got and you think, well, this is the first step of our journey and like, that's that's the level we sort of need to get to, I think. Mm. It's a pretty uh, well-experienced squad they've got, which we'll uh, get on to right now. So again, I'll uh, I'll read through uh, this lineup. Again, they've got Alison Ngol, who's been ever present for them all season. Gomez, who only started, I think it was his third Premier League game all season. Uh, whether he's been kept out uh, due to competition or injury, that I'm not too sure. Uh, but he had uh, Matip, Van Dyke, and Robertson across the back with him as well. Then our old friend Jordan Henderson in uh, midfield. Uh, he got a nice round of applause when he left the pitch when he got subbed off. James Milner, again an ex-mag. Um, I like to see Milner, to be honest. He's a good professional Milner. Uh, Naby Keita, Marnie, Diaz and Jota made up the rest of the squad. And that subs bench is actually quite laughable, isn't it, when you compare it with ours? Uh, you know, you've got the likes of Fabinho, Thiago, uh, Salah, Alexander-Arnold on the Simicast. They're all players that would walk into our squad even if they were injured, to be honest. And... Mm. When that team lineup came out, I think we were all thinking, you know what? No Salah in there, no Alexander Arnold, no Thiago. All thinking, maybe we've got a chance here. Well, was that your thoughts, Jack? Yeah, I thought actually that was Klopp being a little bit complacent. I know that they had the game against Villarreal, um, as everybody knows, because he's been crying about it, having to play <laughs> the game early all week. But yeah, I was I was surprised Trent didn't start, and it's always it's always a good thing when Salah's not starting. But you know. It, the team, their squad is phenomenal. You know, they've just gone out in January and signed Diaz, you know, um, from under Spurs' nose. Yeah. So, and it's it's funny, James Milner's, you're right, he's an ex, he's an ex Newcastle player. That feels like an absolute, I know it was quite a long time ago, 
But that feels so so long ago. I think we're it talking. Really it was two thousand and four, wasn't it? We signed him, so it was it, it, eighteen years ago. We signed him, which is absolutely mind blowing. His his longevity is absolutely incredible. Does he uh, still he, hold a record for the youngest debutant in Premier League history? I know he overtook Rooney when he uh, made his debut for Leeds, but I don't. He was the youngest him. scorer, wasn't he? He scored a goal for Leeds against Sunderland, so I don't know if that still stands, but. His career has just been incredible, you know. He's yeah. he's a he's a model professional. He's a mm-hmm. he's a good he's he's a good person. He's a, he's very very professional in what he does, and he did well in midfield. To to be playing in the the in midfield in the centre of midfield in the Premier League at the age of thirty seven or whatever he is now, you know, all you can do is give him credit for that. So yeah, my thoughts were that it was it was maybe being a bit complacent, and I felt quite confident, you know, until. Probably until they scored their goal, and then it was it it was it was it was a hard game, you know. They they just they're just better than us, you know. The yeah. the first team's better than us. Every one of their players on the bench would walk into our team. Yeah, that's just that's just where we are at the moment. What were your thoughts on that, Keegan? I oh, very much the same as Jack. I thought when the when I seen the lineup, or well, we might be half a sniff here, but yeah, it's the same. It sort of was a bit of an arm wrestle, and then yeah, once they scored. We didn't really look like it after that, but yeah, that's what you get when they are where they are and we are where we are, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, they are uh, a cut above the rest and then some, to be honest, one of the best teams in world football right now. Um, but getting on to the game, uh, it started, to be honest, the first opening 10, 15 minutes. It was quite... Uh, well in Liverpool's possession, as expected. Uh, you know, they hold the ball so well. Every single one of those players is calm and composed on the ball. Uh, but you'd expect that from a team who's pushing for four titles this year, um, which is absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think we had, we had our first shot on target in the second minute, um, which didn't really bother Alisson or anything. But we, we, we started okay. There was a little bit of tempo on there. But Liverpool then just do what Liverpool done and kept a hold of the ball, passed it around us. Uh, they tried a few long balls from the back from uh, Van Dijk, but they didn't really work off. Um, so they had to try and change tactics. So they went to our left-hand side to try and target target. And that, that did kind of pay off for them because uh, Diaz, we all know what a quality player he's been since he came in in January. And... He did get the better of Target every now and again, but Target still stood quite strong, to be honest. He got the odd tackling, the odd block, uh, which was great because he has, he, his pace is phenomenal and everything. Right? Uh, we can probably wax lyrical about him all night long. But the game itself started to open up a little bit where we tried to get them on the break. And every now and again, we would get a little bit in behind them, but their defence is just rock solid, and that shows off their defence. Uh, statistics, which I think is two goals conceded away from home since the turn of the calendar yet, mm. somewhere along those lines. What do you make of the first uh, opening 10-15 minutes, Jack? Uh, I was I was, I was, was just excited in the pub, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I, th- I, th- I felt like we started quite well. Uh, it looked like we were doing... The game kind of settled into a bit of a pattern uh, and they weren't causing us that many problems. So it was pretty. It was pretty even to to begin with. I think the teams were just feeling each other out. It, it looked like a really good atmosphere at the ground as well. Sometimes the twelve thirty lunchtime kickoffs can be a bit. The atmosphere can be a bit flat. But when you've got war flags doing the uh, the big crowd surfing flags, you know it's, it gets everybody up for it. And the I was seeing on Twitter people were in the Mile Castle 
which for people who don't know Newcastle, it's it's a Weatherspoons pub in the middle of in the middle of the town. And they were in there from like 8.30 in the morning or something, you know. So everyone, it, it just means that when the game kicks off earlier, everyone just starts drinking earlier. So it didn't uh, dampen the atmosphere down at all. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a good, it was a, a pretty even start. Uh, but yeah, nothing. I think both teams were just feeling each other out at, at the beginning. And then comes there uh, the 19th minute, and uh, which it was a, I think it was a, a loose ball from uh, Fabian Choi. He tries to go and uh, collect it, uh, but from what I've seen, he gets fairly tackled by James Milner. And I think the Newcastle players were going a little bit raj because uh, Shaw was on the floor. And it looked almost like a, a repeat incident of there. Uh, the first goal were conceded at Anfield this season with a player down with an injury and the rest just ignore it. But the replays did show it was a clean tackle and any contact was done after the ball. But then the ball was spread out uh, again to our left. And Navi Cater, I think it was, he just done a bit of a dance through our uh, defence and then just slotted it home. And to be honest, Liverpool never really looked back from there. What was your takes on that goal, Keegan? And do you think it was a fair tackle? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, at the time, you'd think when he goes down... Or there might be something in that. But then as soon as the ball went in and they showed the replay, you could see straight away it was a fair challenge and it should have just got up and got back in position. But, I mean, even that little oh, like the little body fake he did that threw Dubravka to the ground sort of opened up the goal. And then it seemed like the defenders sort of went back to the goal line to try and block the shot rather than actually try and take the ball. And then, I mean... I'm not sure it might have been Burn, and I'm not sure who the other one was, but I mean, there's half a meter between them on the goal line, and he's managed to squirt it between mm. them both. Like, there's not much you can do, <laughs> unfortunately, especially when it sort of takes one player to be out of position and it pulls everyone else out of position, and then with the speed they move the ball, everyone scrambles, and that's when sort of yeah things happened like that. You can't do anything about it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just Liverpool being Liverpool, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Grinding teams down, doing what they've done for the past few years, let alone this season. And it was just a matter of time, I think, before we did concede. Um, we always do concede against the big teams, and Liverpool are definitely one of those. And after that goal, what was your thoughts on how we reacted to that, Jack? I think they could have scored more goals, you know, in the rest of the half. Um, I just had a quick look over the highlights earlier again, and it's just <laughs> there's like two highlights for us in the whole game of our half chances, and it's just Liverpool attack after Liverpool attack. So, uh, the, on the goal itself as well, I think it was a fair tackle, and I think that it was Shah obviously was down, and it was his, you know, it was in the middle of the goal where the goal ended up going, so he would have been back there. And there was a there was a good one too, and I think it was Burn that stepped up, or it was somebody who just stepped up and let Kate get the ball back, and then he just had the composure to go around the Bravco and put it in. It was Bruno, I think, as well that was on the line there. Yeah, but the yeah the reaction was all right. I, I guess we're just we're, we're, you know we're pleased to get to half time, having not conceded any more goals at that stage, um, and that was about about the best we could get from the rest of the half. I mean, we, we did get the ball in the back of the net. Um, obviously, Miggy was well offside for it. Uh, but we did show an attack and threat to a certain degree. But every time we played that high ball over the top, they were playing such a high line. Their offside trap worked wonders every single 
Uh, it was, to be honest, it was portrait emotion and how good they are at defending. And there was one bit with, um, I think it was Van Dijk, where we were doing the high press. He had the ball and he just literally walked through two, three of our players trying to press him down. And that was just, you know, it was quality personified. That man is just, he's just got ice running through his veins. And he's just, he is one of the world's best defenders, if not the best. And mm. even if that time when he did do his knee down at Everton and they did pretty much hold a funeral procession for him. Um, but yeah, the man came back stronger and he's an absolute beast. And someone, even to half his quality of our squad would be great. Um, chances going through the half, pretty much it was all Liverpool. Um, don't have the half-time statistics, um, but... I think possession-wise, Liverpool, they, I think we were around about 70% possession, uh, there or thereabouts. Uh, we had one shot on target and we had two shots off. And Liverpool, they were something like five shots on. And Dubravka, uh, he was doing really well. He had a cracking game, mm. to be honest. And start of the second half, which I only just realised this when the second half started, that... We started the half attacking the Gallagher end. Normally, it's the other mm. way around. Normally, we attack the Gallagher in the second half. I don't know why that was. Um, I don't know if there was a specific reason behind that or anything. But to me, that ju it just seemed a bit strange. Did anybody else notice that? Anyone think there was something weird about that? I think probably Liverpool won the toss. And the, yeah. they, know, they know that we like attacking the Gallagher in the second half. It, there, is a, there is a hill as well. It's a hill, apparently. It's a slight, mm -hmm. it's a slight incline. So, uh, it's probably... You know, it's a psycho psychological bonus for a team to win the toss and then don't let us kick the way we like kicking. It's a little, a little thing that could have an impact. Yeah, yeah. and um, I think it was halfway through or early in the second half, uh, Fabian Shaw, who just signed his new two-year contract, went off injured. Uh, don't know if there's been an update on his injury on that one, um, but Jamal Lascelles came in, and Dimi, uh, our pal of the show, Dimi, uh, one of our um, co-podcasters. He's a big fan of uh, Jamal LaSalle's, would you say, Jack? Dimmy loves Jamal LaSalle's. <laughs> Dexter said in the comments here, is LaSalle's back in the England frame? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, he didn't do too bad. What did you make of LaSalle's performance, Keegan? No, I, well, they didn't score again when he was on the pitch, so I mean, you can't really knock him for yesterday's performance, but I think he should be sold, but not based on what he did for half an hour or so yesterday. I just don't think for what he's, he's a limited defender and with the way Eddie wants to play and how he wants to set up, I don't think limited defenders are what he wants. Mm. He just can't, he just isn't comfortable on the ball, is he? That's, no. his, that's his main problem. That's why he's probably not going to get much of a look. At, I think we'll probably keep him because he's contracted for a while and he's mm. the club captain and he's, you know, he's a, bit, a big, a good character around the club, good professional. But um, if he's happy, not he's probably going to be fourth choice centre back. To be fair, if we're signing another centre back, so mm, yeah. Um, yeah, he just hasn't got the quality and the confidence on the ball for what how wants to do. I think. Now thinking of our midfield in that game as well, we had definitely the age on our side of it. But in terms of experience, legs of Milner and Henderson, they just dominated that midfield. Unfortunately, uh, I was hoping they would tire uh, as the game went on. But they both got sub quite early, which did actually play to our advantage, to be honest, because round about the 70th minute, um, we started to turn the screw a little. Bruno was doing a few little tricks, a few little flicks. And Maxi then went out wide when Chris Wood came on. 
And what did you make of Chris Wood's impact within, I think he had 30 minutes or so on the pitch, Jack? He did all right. Uh, he's he's got a hard a hard job leading that line on his own. He's it's really been a thankless task for him. But you could see with the chance that he got, uh, he was offside. But he just yeah, he he just isn't clinical, is he? He doesn't take those chances. He, there was a game I think it was against Brentford away where he missed heaps of chances. He scored two really important goals for us, and he's he got well he he should have got the assist against Brighton if Murphy hadn't hit the post, which mm-hmm. was really good. So he has contributed. I think he needs to start the last, the last three games of the season because the team shape is, is completely different without him. I know we beat Norwich, but um, we might have lost Liverpool anyway if he had played. But uh, he's he does an important job for the team. And a bit like Lascelles, he'll, he'll be here next season, but he probably won't be starting many games. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And... The midfield itself, Joe Linton started the game out wide on the left, and you're starting to get a bit of a temper on him. I've noticed uh, Joe Linton. You know, at the Spurs game, things weren't going his way. He picked up a, I don't want to say a needless yellow card because he was defending his teammate on that, and I always uh, big him up for that. But again, he picked up another daft yellow card just for a little bit of handbags. Is that something that he needs to cut out of his game, Keegan? Or are you glad to see a player with that type of passion on the pitch? Uh, well, as long as he can control himself for the rest of the game, I think it's okay. You want them guys on the pitch to fly the flag for your teammates and and stick up for yourself and, and all that sort of stuff. So as long as he can keep himself in check and don't turn his yellow into a red, I think that's fine. But I definitely think I wrote on Twitter before half time that they should have subbed Willikoff for Wood because I don't think he was giving us anything in the midfield. And Maxi up the middle, you could stick him back out on the left, put Joel Linton back in the midfield where he's played his best stuff. And maybe that was part of the reason why we sort of got a foot back in the game, a small foot, but a foot nonetheless, was when we sort of reverted back to our, probably our best 11 at, at all after, mm. before Shah went off. But, yeah, that's sort of our best 11 with Wood up top and, and Maxi out wide and Joel Linton back in his midfield three. Yeah, absolutely. And towards the end of the game, the last 10, 15 minutes, Liverpool, they were desperately searching for a second. And Dubravka, who, when he first came back in fitness, he was under a lot of stick, um, whether it was fitness issue or anything like that. Um, he made one or two little errors, which I know Lee was quite vocal of. And he was... Wasn't calling for it to be dropped or anything because I mean, who we got a replacement Darlow, mm. and I'd rather have a, a lack of confidence to Bravka than Darlow out there, that's for sure. And his performance basically kept us in the game. He made some vital saves in that, and I do think without him, it would have been three, four, maybe even five nil. And what did you make of Dubravka's performance all round, Jack? It was fantastic, yeah. Uh, when you play Liverpool and when they have the amount of shots they had in that game. You're going to need to keep it to be playing well. Uh, nothing I'll ever beat his, his debut against Man United, where he was <laughs> he was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, he's he's had a few um, sort of errors earlier in the season, but he basically won us the game at Southampton as well. He was really good in that game, making some good saves late on, and uh, he's he's easily our best goalkeeper. Uh, and he's he's about 33, 34, so he's prime age for goalkeeper as well. At the moment, so I think he did. He did very well. Uh, I, th- I noticed that he did the one of the interviews after the game as well, 
So I think that was recognition that he was he was our best player. You never really want your goalkeeper to be your best player because it means that they've faced a lot of shots. But he was very good. Yeah, he's I'm I'm very confident with Dubravka in goal. Yeah, he, he seems to be commanding the the back line a bit more, a little bit more vocal than what he has been in previous games. And what did you make of his performance, Keegan? Oh, I thought he was our man of the match. Probably him or Target. I mean, Target did have a lot to do. And for the most part, I thought he stood up pretty well. But yeah, I think Dubravka was probably our man of the match, which, considering he hasn't even been spoken about really since the turn of the year, for good reasons, we've been a bit more solid defensively. But it's good to know that if they need him, he can still stand up and, and do a job, which I think is good for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that pretty much brings us to the, the final whistle. But just to summarise that game, the I think it was Jermaine Genus who said on uh, Match of the Day that was this game uh, a reality check for Newcastle? What was your thoughts on that comment, Jack? It wasn't a reality check to me. <laughs> or I don't think it was a reality check to most Newcastle fans no. because nobody, nobody expected us to be beating Liverpool. Nobody expected us to be... Um, you know, playing particularly well against Liverpool, so I, I, I'm still, I'm still staggered that we we are in the league position we're in after the start we had. So, you know, we've we've been excited because we've been winning games, but I think we've won some games that uh, we probably haven't, you know, played that well in. We didn't play very well against Villa, uh, again, particularly well against Brighton, and we won those games. And even Wolves as well was a bit of a struggle. So. There's definitely no reality check going on going on for me. I just don't think Jermaine, Jermaine Genesis is strange because he played for Newcastle, you know, and he was good for Newcastle when he was young. Mm-hmm. And then he, it's weird. It's weird when players just something just about him in Newcastle just wasn't compatible in some way. Because players, you know, ex players are often quite quite um, full of praise for Newcastle, and obviously he made that goldfish comment, uh, the goldfish ball comment, which come back to haunt him a bit but he's just I don't really value anything he says about Newcastle I think it's it's quite funny when Shearer's on with him sometimes and you get short shrift from Shearer you know and mm-hmm. uh, you just couldn't couldn't handle it here um but I think that was just an ill-informed bit of a silly comment really there's definitely no reality check it wasn't a reality check for me uh, at all and I think everybody else on Tyneside and that's associated with Newcastle around the world would agree with you, to be honest. Uh, I think he may be clicking for a, a few uh clicking for a few likes or something with his uh, his Twitter page or anything there. But he got the he uh, got the um he got the gig of like doing the World Cup draw or something, didn't he? Shinas. It's like oh, yeah, and he's and he does the one show as well. It's like I don't know if it's yeah, Summarise that game, it just literally shows the professionalism and the quality of the Liverpool squad throughout, whether it be the starting 11, the bench or whatever, they just they are just the quality throughout the team. Um, I don't think two or three of our players would get anywhere close to their squad. Maybe Bruno, maybe Joe Linton on his day, but I don't think anybody else would get a, a look in, to be honest. And... That's the the quality that we aspire to have in the next five to ten years. If we can get half as good as that, then we will win a few trophies. And that has to be the level that we are aiming for. And with Amanda and Piff and everything else on board, that's definitely a possibility. Um, I just hope it happens sooner rather than later. And 
it'll be something when we do finally lift that trophy, you know. Tears will be streaming down my cheeks. I'll be uh, dancing around like a loony. I'll be doing backflips along uh, Ken's uh, Esplanade around here. I'll probably break me back in the process, but it's going to happen one day. Uh, but yeah, if we can get half as good as Liverpool, I think everybody else on Tyneside and around would be our the moon with that. Would you agree with that, Keegan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I could see you maybe going into Gilligan's for a week long, a week long stay in Gilligan's, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, like that, like I said earlier, like where this is the first step of our journey, and I mean, a reality check. I mean, what's a reality check? What you lose one nil to a team who's trying to vie for four trophies? Like, I mean, that's not a reality check. That's a, I think that's a good indication to say. We're on the right track, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Hey, yeah, like they could have come in and, and put five, six past us, but they didn't. They only got one, and I think that's a positive for us moving forward. That mm-hmm. uh, hey, like we're doing the right things. Let's just keep stepping forward, and who knows what happens. I think as well with Liverpool. So it's taken them. They didn't win the Premier League for. Th- 30 years or something, you know? So mm. they've, they've been through this this process and they've always been well well back financially, almost always. And they've been they've been close a few times. They're a massive, they're probably, they're a massive club, you know, one of the biggest cl- football clubs in the world. But it's not, like, it's not a given that we're going to get success just because we've got the money as well. Like, it's taken them a long time and a lot of good managers and a, a lot of good players um, to settle upon this sort of winning team and it's taken a brilliant manager even though he's pretty annoying these days and it's taken it's taken the whole club effort where you know they've, they've had um the structures being set up right and everybody fits into the structure and everyone's pulling in the same direction and everything from the transfer policy to the youth system they're all just everyone's pulling in the same direction at that club and that's why they are so they're as good as they are. And that's hopefully what Dan Ashworth, when he when he finally gets here, he's mm-hmm. gonna be able to start putting these kind of um this kind of joined up thinking and these structures in place to get us, you know, an opportunity to be to be as good as Liverpool. But it, it Liverpool are one of the best Premier League teams in history, you know. So this this Liverpool team. So it it's it's going to be it's going to be hard for us to get to that level, but if we get the right people in the right places, I think we can we can do it in time. Absolutely, totally agreed. So we're going to go on to now the full time stats. So Newcastle with thirty four percent possession, Liverpool with sixty six. I'm surprised we had that much to be honest. Um, mm. A little over a third possession shots, um, four with two on target. Liverpool had twenty four shots with ten on target. And the fact they only scored one again just shows how good of a job Dubravka did do because they've got some lethal finishers in that squad. Zero corners for us, six to Liverpool. Again, corners are a great opportunity to score. Liverpool have scored more goals from set piece, from set pieces this season than any other team in uh, the league. So again, well done for the defence on that one. And fouls was equal at 11 each. Any of those stats stick out like a sore thumb to you, Jack, apart from the shots, obviously? Nah, just you know that that just shows you how well Dubravka played, and it showed that really it was one nil, and it's good that we kept it to what we did. But it could have easy, quite easily been three, three or four, you know. Yeah. Uh, based on the stats, I'm surprised at the possession start as well because it didn't feel like we had that much of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when just going back 
briefly to Liverpool's squad as well. When you can bring Salah, Thiago and Fabinho off the bench <laughs> and leave Trent Alexander-Arnold on the bench, you know, what can you do, you know? But yeah, no, the stats, I feel, I feel like that pretty much is a pretty accurate representation of the game. And probably the only surprise is that we only conceded one goal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, going on to man and match, I think we've all pretty much decided this already. Um, Keegan, you mentioned before you'd probably go for Dubravka or Matt Target. Jack, your man of the match? Yeah, Dubravka, yeah. Yeah, has to be, doesn't it? No one gets anywhere close. Uh, Target had a good game, but Dubravka, he was a, a shining light in a poor performance against a very good Liverpool squad. So, mm. this is the, the league table. Uh, not much change, to be honest. We're still in the top 10. We've still got 43 points, um, 35 games played, three to go. Liverpool, they're sitting up in there, the nosebleed territory up in second, just a point behind Man City, who beat Leeds, I think it was 4-0 just a few hours after us. So they leapfrogged them again. What's your thoughts on that league table, Keegan? And do you think we will get a top 10 finish? Um, I haven't actually looked to the teams around us play, but I probably think no. Leaning towards no, like Man City and Arsenal, are obviously going to be tough games, and I mean, who knows what's going to be happening with Burnley and and their situation in the last game. So, I mean, like, it's actually ridiculous, really, <laughs> that we're still tenth. But I mean, even if we drop down to thirteenth, I mean, that's still a pretty successful year compared to where we were in November. So, mm. I think give a good pre-season, a few more quality signings. I mean, there's no reason why we can't be where Wolves are or where West Ham are this time next year. I mean, the gap's not that big. And, yeah, I think we're only a few players away from actually getting into Europe next year. Hmm. Completely agree with that. Your thoughts on uh, the table and how it's looking right now with three games to go, Jack? Yeah, good. I think it's pretty um, likely that Leicester will overtake us. They've got six games left we've only got three left uh but if we can finish like yeah 17th was the the target this season really was um and 40 points you know when eddie came in so if we can finish anywhere anywhere and it doesn't matter like it, it doesn't really matter it'll be nice to finish in the top half for just the you know a bit of a bit of a bonus a bit of a boost and just so I think Eddie Howell will get the recognition he deserves for what he's done, but it's probably yeah unlikely that we'll that we'll get into the that we'll finish in the top half. But if we finish anywhere tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, it doesn't really matter. Um, we're still not actually mathematically safe from relegation <laughs> because Burnley won. Um, but I think even the most pessimistic Newcastle fan would would think that we're, we are safe now because it's not just going to take Burnley winning every game. It's going to take other t- all the other teams below us doing that as well. And that's not going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, the league table looks good. It's it's nice looking at the league table. Um, it's been nice looking at it over the last month or so uh, after the after the start of the season. I don't know how we've scored 40 goals. That seemed qu- quite a lot for a team that didn't score until Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're not even high scorers, though. That's a thing. I mean, the yeah. most we've scored in one game was three, and that was against Norwich, who everyone scores three past Norwich. And, I mean, what, Brentford, we got three against, and I think that was it. Only Everton? No, uh, sorry, Everton as well, yeah. 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 Um, three times we've scored three goals, which, you know, you're, you're at least 
one game a season, you want to get maybe four or five. Um, I think even Steve Bruce, we managed to get four down at um, Less than Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, we got four at West Ham as well, didn't we? Yeah, one beat them down there. Yeah, mm. yeah. but um, yeah, you know, I'm not complaining. We're sat tenth in the table. Uh, we are probably what nine places above where people expected we to finish. And for everybody that did want us to finish in the bottom half of the table or the relegation zone, some of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are where we are uh, because we played well, and we've got Eddie as our manager, and he has got Newcastle reunited. I think it's worth just um, looking at this comment from Dexter and addressing this. So, can we rely on Eddie Howe working miracles again next season or will he be back properly? Dummett and Longstaff getting new contracts seems odd. So, my sort of view on this is that I wrote a, I wrote an article, in-depth article about the Newcastle squad. So, I think the reason why Dummett, players like Dummett and Longstaff are getting new contracts is because it's probably going to be easier in the short term to try and, rather than trying to sign sort of eight, nine new players, it's going to be easier to just keep a couple of the, those players who were, you know, who were good good characters. Um, if Dummett stays, I think Lewis will probably get sold and then that bring, brings us some cash in as well. And Dummett can also fill in at centre-back, although hopefully we're not going to need to rely on that. <laughs> With Longstaff, he uh, he hasn't been as good as what we'd, have, what we'd have hoped and he's probably going to find game time difficult. So I'm doubtful whether he's going to be part of the the club in the long term, but I don't see any harm in giving him an extra couple of years now to see you know to see if he can re- rediscover some of that form, and if not, we can just sell him next summer. So I, I think I don't think Eddie Howell need to work miracles, and he's definitely going to be backed uh, with four or five new first team players in the summer. Mm-hmm. I think. I think Jack as well. That might be. The people they're offering contracts to might be a bit of an indication of what positions they're looking to target in the off-season. Like, they're not looking for central midfielders or left-backs. They're happy to keep mm. the ones they've got for now, like you said, and maybe in 12, 24 months' time, improve mm. them in the next couple of windows. It's more who aren't they offering contracts to might be the positions that – or who are they mm. going to sell? Are they positions that they're actually looking to improve on? Yeah, and Eddie's talked about evolution and not revolution, and I think yeah. that's that's the way it's going to go. He's got he's got a balancing act here between trying to keep the squad and the team happy and trying to keep the big the good characters in that, and and while he's trying to assimilate new new players still, because if we sign four or five new first team players, we'll basically have signed an entire new team in the last two transfer windows, mm. and it's not easy to in, integrate that many players, so. I think that's it's just sensible. I think to be to be doing that at this stage, but everyone knows that Dummett's not going to be here in a few years, and no. pro- neither is Longstaff yeah. probably because we're going to be getting better players. Absolutely. Now, there's one player we never touched on, um, or we touch on very very little in that Liverpool review, and that was Alan Saint Maximan. Uh, so what we're going to do now is something a little bit different. We've never really done this before for the next twenty minutes, half an hour, however long it takes. We're just going to have a little conversation as to what we think is up with St. Max and just comparing him with another Premier League player who's very similar in terms of position, games played, minutes on the pitch and everything like that. And that player is Trossard of Brighton. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring up the, the league table again just to show you. So, as you can see, Brighton are literally sat above us on with one point more. They're on 44 we're on 43 points for those that are just listening in. Brighton have scored 34 goals all season. 
and we've scored 40. As Jack mentioned, how? No idea how. Um, the fact we've scored more goals than uh, Brighton and Wolves, uh, which is very, very strange, um, is a bit of a mystery. But we're going to go into some stats like for like, uh, again, between uh, Trossard and St. Max. Now, reason why, again, I've gone with these, they've both played 32 games uh, in the league this season. They both play out wide on the left, sometimes drifting into the middle. They've both played similar amount of uh, minutes on the pitch as well. So this is what we're going to know. Now, if you have any questions regarding these stats, please feel free to put them in the comments and we'll try and answer them once we get to the end of this segment. But it's quite interesting to see all this. We're just going to put it on the screen right now. So starting off now with the goals at the top. Uh, where the blue box is, that is Trossard stats. And at the bottom, in the yellowy orange box across, you've got Alan St. Maxman stats. Now, you'll see there straight away, there's a bit of a glaring thing there. Now, underneath, you'll see it's got their rank in the Premier League as well. What's your first take on that head to head, Jack? That's interesting. I think the so Trossard's got seven goals and Maxi's got five goals. Obviously, we know Maxi hasn't scored for quite a while this season. I think Watford might have been his last goal. He scored against Manu and Watford. But the they're playing they're playing different and teams that play different styles. But so you know, Brighton have got a much more of passing style and probably create more chances than what we have been doing. But it's interesting that there's a lot of noise around Maxi and um, because of his style of play and because uh, he's he has you know been one of our best players for the last three seasons and dug us out of a lot of holes. But yeah, Trossard's got more, got significantly more expected goals there as well at 7.43 compared to Maxi's 5.11. And he's he's got more chances. So yeah, um, Trossard's not really a player I've particularly played that much attention to um, over the over the time. Uh, Brighton seem to have a lot of players that do the, a similar kind of thing. But I know that we've been linked with him as well. So... Mm-hmm. You know, seven and five goals is not a bad return for a winger at this stage of the season. Uh, but obviously, yeah, we need we need more from Maxi. Now, your thoughts on uh, those head-to-head there, Keegan? Yeah, I'm I'm similar. I don't really spend too much time watching Brighton play, so I haven't seen much of <laughs> Trossard. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting comparison compared to the uh, not the the slander or the talk, but or the talk about about ASM and and what he does with the ball, his tricks and his flashiness and stuff like that. But I mean yeah, someone similar who hasn't got the the pl- or not the plaudits, but the media and the and the talk about him is actually clearly performing better over the course of the season. He's he's yeah. I think yeah, Maxi's a real Hit and miss, isn't he? Mm. he? He's either a million dollars or he's a dollar. Like it's nothing. Mm. You don't get an average game out of him. He's yeah, top of the world or he's down the bottom. The big thing for me that is is the fact that Brighton have still only scored thirty four goals, mm. and Trossard has got seven of them. We've scored forty, and Maxi's got five. I know we've uh, got the joint most individual scorers um, in the Premier League alongside Liverpool. I think. And so, you know, I'm all happy for the squad to score goals, but Maxi's in there to score as well. 
And I think mm. he should do a little bit more on that side of things. But now we're going to move on to the playmaking stats. I think so, Trossard takes pens as well. I think I've just yeah, I think he does take penalties, so that's probably going to bump that stat up a bit. Right. Well, that uh, that may explain a little bit or two on there then. But uh, this again in the the playmaking type of things. Now this one is heavily in Saint Maximin's favour. Now I want to try and keep this as balanced as possible. I don't want to seem like we're just trying to slag ASM off because he's had a, a few shit games or whatever. So just to show the, the balance. So if you look at the assist there, Allen's got five, Trossard's got one. That's a huge difference mm. between the two. So creating goals he's significantly better at, and. You can look at the ranking there in the Premier League. Alan is 27th, whereas Trossard is 224th for assists. Mm. That is a glaring gap, would you agree with that, Keegan? Yeah, absolutely. Even even the key passes, I mean, it seems like every time he gets the ball, every time Maxi gets the ball, they surround him like seagulls to a chip, you know, and he doesn't really pass the ball, or at least that's the, that's the knock on him. He, he tries to dribble too much and he doesn't pass it, but... I mean, yeah, if you've got more key passes, more assists, more chances created, more expected assists, I mean, that says you're passing the ball. Your thoughts on that, Jack? Yeah, it's just like what Keegan says. Uh, I like this expected assist stat. That's good. I didn't even know that was a thing. I knew expected goals. But, yeah, he, because he does get the ball so often and he does, you know, even yesterday he created Woods, was offside, but he created Woods' chance, you know, and against Wolves as well, he set Wood up for the, the penalty uh, with a really good bit of play on the counter-attack. So he does he, he does contribute. He, he is one of our most, you know, technically gifted players. Um, and, you know, 10 goal contributions in a team that scored 40 goals, he's, he's, he's had a part in 25% a quarter of our goals this season. Mm -hmm. So... I think we're probably talking about him at a time when he's not in the best form because uh, he's not been he's not been very good since December or so. Uh, but yeah, that's interesting. That I mean, we know that he still is con he still is contributing goals and assists, um, and he's going to be be one of the top our top stats in those um, in those important areas at the end of the season. So yeah, we don't want to be too too down on him, I guess, um, but. Yeah, I, I still am going to be a bit. <laughs> now, one of the the main negative talking points from about ESM, sorry, is his lack of passing and vision. Would you agree with that, Keegan? Yeah, well, he just his first his first instinct went to get the ball is just to put his head down and go. Like he, he doesn't really look up where they're different players, different positions. But Bruno's got his head up as soon as he gets the ball. He's got his head up trying to find someone, whereas Maxi's first instinct is to just head down, go, let's take someone on. And then when he gets to a spot where he thinks he can pass the ball, he'll pass the ball rather than just pass, keep the ball moving, keep the ball moving, you know, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it's sort of – you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, aren't you? You sort of want him mm. to be attacking and aggressive, but at the same time pass the ball, keep it moving. Like maybe a one-two, you know, give and go, get yourself into a space. But, well, yeah. This next one I'm going to throw to you is the passing statistics between the, the two players. This may be a bit of an eye-opener. And, Jack, I'll let you just break these ones down uh, for those mm. that are listening um, over on Spotify and uh, Apple Play. Yeah. I'll let you go through those. Yeah, this is a huge discrepancy. So, and But I... 
a big part of this is the way that Brighton and the way Newcastle play. So Trossard's got 1,121 passes, which is 88th in the Premier League, and Matty's got 692, which is 202nd in the Premier League. Passes into the final third is 628 to Trossard to 399 to Maxi, and passes into the box 110 for Trossard and 95 for Maxi. I think that is heavily skewed because of the way Brighton play. Um, even when they played us, they were they were just passing it around and not doing anything with it, though. You know, you know, like six hundred of those six hundred twenty-eight passes for Trossard were probably in that game against us, but they did score. Well, they did score one from their corner, but they still didn't create much, and we we held them at arm's length. So he's he's not. I don't think. Saint Maximum would probably get in the Brighton team because he's not a passing a passing footballer, you know. That's not what that's not what his attributes are. So it's kind of that's not what you want from him necessarily, but you still want him to be able to pick the right pass at the right time, which is where a lot of the frustration comes with him, I think. One of the bonuses I can see in that is in the passes in the final third at 399 for uh, Maxi, 95 of those are into the box. So that, to me, is a big advantage over Trossard, who has got 628 passes in the final third, but only 110 passes into the box. So Maxi is definitely getting more into the box per passes in the final third than what Trossard definitely is. But just looking at those stats there, it does look like uh, Maxi just he doesn't want to pass the ball or he just doesn't want to get his head up to find the next player. What's your thoughts on that, Keegan? Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder would that would these numbers be different if we had Wilson for a full year? You know what I mean? Mm. Someone who he might trust a little bit more to pass the ball into the box. And Woods is showing he's not really that good with his feet. So I mean, does that maybe that plays a part? He doesn't trust him enough to pass the ball to him. Who knows? It, it, it's very. Interesting statistics. He's like I say, two players very, very similar in terms of what they've achieved this season. But the way they go about their game can be that fair bit different, as we can see there. We're going into where uh, the last statistic between the two, and this is not something that both players are really known for or what they're in the team for, but they still have to contribute, and that's the defensive side of their game. So we're just going to show this last one here. And you can see straight away, Trossard's got seven blocks, Maxi's got two. Uh, 63 tackles to Maxi's 38. None of them have won an aerial duel, uh, which I find that hard to believe, to be honest. Uh, and pass interceptions, 63 for Trossard, as to Maxi's 38. Now, one thing I will point out there is a good number of those games, Maxi was playing up top on his own. So mm. you can't defend when he's that far up the pitch. So I'm going to give him credit on that one. I'm going to stick up for him on that one. But there are times when he's been out on the left in his times when he has left his defender exposed and he should track back a little bit more. But we seem to have a little bit of a, a problem with French attacking wingers who just don't want to defend very well. Because all the way back to Ginola, Robert, Ben Arfa, you know, uh, yeah. it's just one of the little things that Newcastle seem to can't shake off that monkey on the shoulder. What's your thoughts on those stats there, Jack? It's difficult, this, because he's not... Like you said, he's not there to defend. But when you are playing, you know, modern modern football and as part of a, a team, then 
especially one that's coached by a, a coach like Eddie Howe, who wants every player to play their part in the team. And, and if you're on the left wing, you're going to have to defend sometimes. I think that might probably be why he didn't start uh, on the left wing against Liverpool, because Eddie just knows he's not going to defend. Um, I used to get annoyed when people used to have a go at Robert and Ben Arthur for not tracking back, because it's like, it's not what they were in the team for. So I think it's 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 unfair to criticise um, attackers for not defending sometimes. But by the same token, I think we got, the team is actually better, has been better when Jacob Murphy's played because he will do what he's told to do and he'll, he'll get up and down and he'll help his defender out. So it's just really difficult with, with Maxi uh, because he's such a good player uh, and he's, he's a player that gets, uh, that's going to get the crowd excited. But he's going to have to, he's basically going to have to pull his weight if he's going to be part of this team going forward. You know, that no, no, none of the Liverpool players get away with not defending, even Salah, and he's one of the best players in the world. So why should any why should any player get away with not defending? I think Max has been used to doing what he wanted to do when Steve Bruce was here as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was given a free role and he just said, it was just obvious, he just said, go out, go and play and do do what you do and he obviously loved that because he was he was going being able to do what what he wanted to do but it's interesting that he's probably the one player that hasn't improved under Eddie Howe or whose performances have probably gone backwards a little bit um after a quite a good start under Eddie so that's uh that's quite telling i think and that's going to have to change next season uh if he's still going to be here which i think he will unless somebody comes in with you know 35, 40 million for him, which seems unlikely. Your thoughts on uh, Maxi's a little roundup on that one, Keegan? How do you yeah, see him going for the rest yeah. of the season and so on? Oh, yeah, similar to Jack. Oh, when Eddie was appointed, I thought that he'd be not his type of player, like a one way, doesn't really track back. Um, he's really big on defend with the ball. You know, let's get up, get up, let's turn the ball over closer to our goal than. Their goal than our goal, but I mean, he hasn't really been the same since he had was it any whatever injury he had. I'm not even sure if they actually disclosed it in the end. We just knew he was back in France getting treatment. I mean, that for me, that in itself's pretty weird. I mean, you've got these sports scientists who are elite at their field, and he goes back to France to get his own treatment, not really under the watchful eye of the club sort of medical department. I mean, it was all weird and like definitely Bruce let him get away with whatever he wants because he didn't want to upset him. But yeah, I just think if he was a, if he was a complete player, he, he wouldn't have come to us in the first place. He'd be, he would yeah. have went to a much higher club. Same as Ben Arthur, same as Robert, Ginola, a little bit different Ginola, but I mean, these guys, they come to us because they don't have, the all-round game to play at the higher clubs and stuff like that. And unfortunately, yeah, they're all French. They're all left-wingers and they all end up <laughs> with us. <laughs> yeah. And just a quick, simple yes or no answer from either of you. Would you keep Alan Tim Maxman next season? <laughs> That's not a simple yes or no question, is it? <laughs> um, 
if somebody comes in with a good enough bid for him, I think we should sell him. So Red. I think, but but that's not to say I don't appreciate what he's done for us and don't think that he can contribute. I think it's it's worth it's worth giving him another it's worth persevering and giving him another season. And I think we'll have a good idea by the end of next season whether it's going to work for him at Newcastle under Eddie Howe or not. Um, so there's so my answer to that is yes, I would sell him if we got a good enough bid for him, but I don't think we will. And I think he'll be here, and I'm I'm happy about that. That he's still going to be here as well. You know, I think the the support that the the fans gave him at St James's with the um, the war flags uh, in the last home game was absolutely fantastic. You know. And that's what Newcastle fan base is about. And I think he, I hope he feels that. And I hope that he has a good preseason and comes back and turns into the player that we think he can be. Sorry, that wasn't a quick answer. <laughs> All good. Uh, yes, I know from yourself, Keegan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think he's in the same boat as a lot of our players. Yes, until we can get someone better. That would be my, that would be my answer. Good answer. I like that one. Yeah, nice and short. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, to be honest, uh, in the comments, let me know if you would keep uh, Alan to Maxman for next season, or if an offer came in that we couldn't refuse, would you let him go? Um, that's going to be the end of that slide right now. Now, just touching on there, uh, the last three fixtures that we've got. So obviously, we've got Man City at the Etihad, followed by Arsenal at St James's, and. Thankfully, uh, it's not going to be a make-or-break game for us uh, taking off our Burnley last game of the season. It's just going to be a game where we could probably play, play the youngsters, to be honest. How do you see the last three games playing out, Jack? Uh, like like Bobby said the other day on the pod, I don't really care that much. You know, <laughs> I think I think we'll I think we'll pick up some points. I, I'm not. I think we can pick up something against Arsenal. Anything against Man City is a free hit. Um, and I think <laughs> it was funny. I was out with Mark yesterday and he was still talking about that Burnley away game. He's been scared. <laughs> he's been scared about that game for months and months. But um, mm. yeah, I don't think by that point we'll be in a position where we need uh, where we need the points to avoid relegation. So I think we can get maybe two to four points out of the out of the last three games. And that'll be good. And then we can have the end of the season and I can stop having to wake up in the middle of the night. And I can catch up on some sleep. Thank God for that. Your thoughts on the last three fixtures, Keegan? Yeah, I don't. I don't think points matter that much. It's more about maintaining the standards we've had since the turn of the year, and I like to think of it as a little a shop window, dress rehearsal for potential recruits to come in, and just to say, well, this is what we're all about. Like, obviously, through January, there's a lot of speculation and players were sceptical with, with good reason to not come to play for us. I mean, yeah, Bruno took one and, I mean, he's going to turn out to be a legend, isn't he? Like, let's be mm. honest. The longer he's, everyone's just in love with him already. I'm in love with him already. My kids are in love with him already. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, as long as we can maintain the level we've played at and show enough to – yeah, potential recruits that this is going to be a good place to play going forward. I mean, it already is off the pitch, but they want to see what it's like on the pitch. And I think, yeah, if we maintain what we've done in the last three games, regardless of points, finishing positions or whatever it is, as long as we can keep that form and 
our spirit and the way we play up, that's going to be the big positive thing going in and hopefully a busy summer. Absolutely. I'm just going to bring Uggie's comment on screen here. This kind of goes with what you said, Keegan, as well. So about uh, Maxime probably not having that much faith in Chris Wood, uh, but passing the ball to him that much. So will be interesting to see how he goes after our summer transformation with better players around him. That is a really good question, to be honest. Um, better players made, given a bit more confidence. And we've already seen how good Bruno is. And we've yet to see them to link up very well. But get a good preseason under them, plus a few extra new faces in there. That could very well be the transformation of Maxi. What we all want. Some some players like having like the talisman role, don't they? So I don't know whether he, because he has been a talisman for the last three seasons. I don't know whether he is that something he revels in, and whether he might, whether he might like being the main man, um, and whether he's going to be, whether he might be better suited to a club where he is going to be the main man, or whether he is going to be able to adapt into what we hope becomes, you know, a cohesive attacking unit. Uh, but like I said before, to, to do that, he's going to have to put the work in and it's not going to be easy for him. And he's not going to be able to just do what he wants um, because no one no one can do that in, in Eddie Howe's teams. Just on that, it'd be interesting to hear uh, what you two think. If we did bring in another left winger, do you think that would elevate him or would that, sort of send him backwards and he'd sort of throw the pram or throw the toys out of the pram because he's not the number one choice anymore. I know you are so on first track. My my inkling is that he would he would throw the toys out of the pram. Yeah, that's um, mine too. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's based on based on his, his sort of his character throughout his career. He's he's fallen out with uh both Favre and Vieira when he was at Nice. Although he was young then, to be fair, but he is—he do, he does seem temperamental. So I'd be concerned that he would—he would chuck his toys, and that he's—he uh, wouldn't like that. But who knows? You know, he's—he's—you know—he is a good character in some ways. He's—he's he's good on Twitter. He's funny on Twitter. Oh, he's all time on Twitter. He's—he's engaged—he's engaged, and he's—he's—you know—he's engaged into the the culture of Newcastle, and so that's been good. And he's done really good things with the food bank and things. So, um, but yeah, I think my inclination is that he would he wouldn't like that competition, and it, it wouldn't drive him on the way it would with some players. But who knows? I think personally, if we got a, another left winger in, I wouldn't mind seeing him drop into the number ten role to play through the middle. I know he said there on a few occasions that's his preferred role, and the fact that he's a, a right-footed player playing on the left means he's always got to cut in to get those shots and which makes it quite predictable when he gets into that situation no he's going to cut in at some point it's just a matter of when but when he's face on with the goal you he can go left he can go right and he's still going to pretty much have that opportunity there and putting him through the middle where he can utilize his pace if through with through balls from bruno maybe that's where he could develop his game better through the middle rather than on the left um, but I think that would all depend on if we actually sign uh, Bruno's mate in Paqueta, which there's a lot of talk of that because he's the perfect number 10. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But, yeah, I yeah personally, I think he'd throw the toys out. And, mm. I mean, with what they've sort of – they look like their dressing room's really, really tight-knit, good characters. And I think especially in, in January, it was a really dangerous window to – 
either sign players who you think are going to be better or sign good players and good people. And they've clearly signed the good players and good people. Now, if he starts disrupting the dressing room, I mean, how is that going to affect everyone else? Like, I think Eddie seems like the type of guy that'll go, no, no, off you go. We're not, we can't have anyone like you disrupting everyone and little chirping in the ears and this and that. And, you know, you want to get rid of them once pretty quick. So, yeah, I think it would reveal a lot if they did and that if they signed a winger, that might be an indication that Eddie doesn't really rate him. Hmm. Could be. Now, this uh, question from Dexter, yeah. Hard to believe there's only three <laughs> games left. I need a break because, to be honest, those first 14, 20 games, they were a hard slog, weren't they? It just felt like those games rolled into days and then weeks and then months. And then that win against Leeds came, and then the games from there just flew past. The mm. The time has just gone over so quick because we've had such a good run. Uh, but yeah, three games left. Where's it all gone? <laughs> it's absolutely bonkers. And just to follow on that one, what we're going to do until mid-August? Sleep, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I was going to say, yeah. I'm going to sleep. Yeah. I don't know where... Go on. Go on. Oh, yeah, I think we'll be... do a few uh, extra hours. You know, we've uh, done what, three hour long watch alongs at uh, four or five o'clock in the morning, waited for Serena to get the, the team photo up just so we can go to sleep. <laughs> it's uh, It's been a hard, long slog, but it's been worth it in the end, that's for sure. Mm. I'll be turning off Twitter until mid August. I don't want to read every, every yeah. third tweet that they've linked to here and they've spoken to here. I, uh, just yeah, let me know when they. Be... There's going to be a lot of noise. Here. Yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. If Dexter's asking maybe what we're going to do in terms of the pod as well, so we'll be doing like a, we'll be doing a season review kind of thing. We're going to do um, our sort of um, goal of the season and moment of the season and all that sort of stuff. And we've got maybe a few more interviews with people lined up, and we'll be talking about transfers, I guess, a bit as well. And this Endless squad bit. building situation that's going to be going on that's going to be quite exciting so we're going to be we're going to still be going with the pod over the break but yeah we're just not going to have to get up in the middle of the night <laughs> until august which will be very very nice and okay. um, i've passed this question on to here yeah keegan what striker realistically should we go all out and sign uh, i don't think there's a a play i mean like realistically we could go for anyone we wanted like that's the reality of it but Realistically, I th- I just think not so much the name, but the type of we just need a reliable striker. I think that's that's all we need. Someone who will score you maybe ten to fifteen a year, play most weeks, and like be a be a good person in the dressing room. Like that's not for me to try and speculate of who's a good bloke, who's a bad bloke, or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just think. The type of play we need is a reliable one. And where that comes from, I mean, they've got people who have paid a lot more money than me to find them. But, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's who I think we need, just a reliable number nine. We're probably not going to be number nine because Callum won't give his shirt up. But, yeah, a reliable, reliable player up front who we just know what we're going to get every week. Yeah, there's the, the names linked have been like Darwin Nunes and there's been Isaac who's in Spain as well, doing really well, the Swedish striker. So if we can get it seems to be that'll be the kind of level 
that we'll t- that we'll at least aim for. Whether we'll get that or not, I'm not yeah. sure. But... I think I think maybe Kelvin Lewin last week yeah. as well. But I mean, he's injury hasn't... problem. Yeah, he's injury prone. That's what I mean. He's not the reliable like we've got an injury prone striker already. We probably don't mm. need to sign another one. For me, and I've mentioned his name quite a few times uh, privately and on Twitter as well. Uh, Marcus Rashford, I think he, mm. he needs a move from Man United. Uh, we all know he's got the quality. It's just whether he can reignite his career away. And we could take him off Man United's hands if uh, Ten Hag doesn't want him. I'd gladly have him in Newcastle. I think there's mm. definitely quality there. Uh, just whether he'd be willing to, you know, make that move far north is uh, so funny. <laughs> you know, it, I don't know. But yeah, um, Rashford would be my choice of any of the Premier League strikers out there. But Darwin Nunes would probably be the dream one if given the option. Hmm. We don't know how it, we don't know if these are realistic targets, do we? Yet that's a thing. Like, and that's what Keegan was just saying before about all the noise over the summer. There's going to be so much of this, so mm. we'll be keeping up with it. But yeah, like I, I don't have time to watch Spanish football, or um, you know, <laughs> like I said, I barely have time to watch Newcastle. So yeah, uh, I trust that. And it, the good thing is now as well that Steve Nixon, the head head scout, they're actually going to be signing players that he's recommending like as top choices now instead of <laughs> scr- scratting down to the bottom of his list and looking in the bargain basement. So I think that's exciting as well for us. Would anyone re-sign Ivan Tony? No. What do you think his attitude stinks a bit lately? Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, there's there's red flags there, isn't there? There's been a couple of incidents and he did that like for some reason he did that sort of angry celebration when he scored at St James's, which was strange because no Newcastle fan thought badly or otherwise of him really played no. two games in his whole career here. So yeah. he's I think good they player wished though. Him well. They wished yeah, him well. Yeah. Like go go get yourself a career because like at the moment you're probably not gonna get one here. So yeah, good luck, but yeah, I don't. I mean, they haven't been great, but he hasn't been great at the same time. I just think we need to maybe look a bit better than than what Tony is at the moment. He could be like a, a Chris Wood next year, perhaps, yeah. but we've got Chris Wood, so we don't need another Chris Wood. I could see Tony being like a backup option if we don't sign our first couple of choices. If for whatever reason we can't get them, but yeah, I wouldn't be. I'd be. I wouldn't be bored if we signed them. Or not really, um, but I just don't know if he's if his character based on this season fits in with what Eddie's trying to do. Agreed. Yeah, too like I said, too many red flags there. There is talk of um, that Ekiteki or however it's pronounced uh, reigniting transfer talks with him, but obviously he's a young one for the future. Be interesting to see if that develops into anything. But we do definitely need a striker because Wilson, as Keegan rightly said, he just can't stay fit. Wood is just not the natural finisher that we need. So I'd say that's got to be our primary focus going into the season. But we need to get Maxi back firing on all cylinders to, you know, get bums off those seats, uh, get the crowd going because he's certainly capable of that. And I'd love him to be there next season and I'd love him to have a fantastic partnership with who we do go out and buy in the window. Uh, because if he's playing well, then we're playing well. Uh, it's as simple as that, to be honest. But I think we're going to leave the the pod there thanks to everyone that uh, has been watching 
over on uh, YouTube. Remember the little challenge we've got to get to 500 subs before the uh, last game of the season. So if you don't uh, follow us already, please hit that subscribe button. It helps us out massively. Please follow us on Twitter at TuneUnderPod. We are available on all the major uh, podcast outlets. So we're on Apple, we are on Spotify, and now Amazon Music as well. We've got a Facebook page and an Instagram page. So come and follow us over on there as well. Uh, thanks to Jack for coming on and massive thanks to Keegan for dropping by as well. Love your comments and everything you brought to the chat today, mate. Thank you very much. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Craig. And I think it's bedtime now. It is bedtime, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> again, thanks to everyone watching. Remember, hit that subscribe button. Really helps us out. Thanks again, lads. See you later. Cheers. See ya.